Welcome to Smart Healthcare Safety from ECRI, the most trusted voice in healthcare, committed to advancing effective, evidence-based care. I'm your host, Paul Anderson, and for more than 10 years, I've overseen our patient safety, risk, and quality membership programs here at ECRI. Tens of thousands of healthcare leaders rely on us as an independent, trusted authority to improve the safety, quality, and cost-effectiveness of care across all healthcare settings worldwide. You can learn more about our unique capabilities to improve outcomes at www.ecri.org. Today's episode is part of a series we're recording for the ECRI and the ISMP Patient Safety Organization's annual Deep Dive Report. This year's Deep Dive focuses on issues of racial and ethnic disparities in healthcare, and we're talking to PSO members and others to hear about their initiatives to fight against these disparities. Our guest is from Pomona Valley Hospital Medical Center, an organization that strives to continuously improve the status of health by reaching out and serving the needs of their diverse ethnic, religious, and cultural community. Much of our guest's work focuses on providing equitable, accessible healthcare for all. So to get us started, I will ask our guest to introduce himself. Thank you so much, Paul. Um, my name is Dr. Jose Ramos. I am a family medicine physician. Um, I am the associate program director at the Pomona Valley Hospital sponsored family medicine residency program. So I essentially train um, residents. You know, Dr. Ramos, I, th I think that was that was the brief way of, of describing your role. But I, my understanding is you wear you wear a lot of hats at the hospital medical center there. And one of the ones that we really want to focus on today, I think, is your role as the director of health equity and community medicine curriculum. Um, so could you describe a little bit of the efforts that have gone in to prepare uh, Pomona Valley to be ready to tackle some of those equity issues? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, <clears throat> so I came to Pomona Valley as part of the residency program. Now, obviously it's attached um, to the hospital um, with a focus on building a health equity curriculum at the program to, to really help develop a new generation of physicians who are prepared to address the complex needs that we see in our diverse populations that we're serving um, with really the overall goal of closing health disparities. This aligns obviously <clears throat> directly with Pomona Valley's um, mission. And so, you know, uh, this is a sponsored program uh, through Pomona Valley, our residency training program. Um, and it gives me opportunities to really work very, very closely uh, with the leadership at the hospital. And, um, and the curriculum that we've built translates in a lot of ways to the hospital. And one of the big ways that it translates that we're trying to implement some of um, uh, the curriculum is through the Health Equity, Diversity and Inclusion Committee, uh, where a lot of my efforts are focused. I know you said prepare, how do we prepare, right? Yeah, so prepare, great question. And prepare really is the operative word. Um, you know, over the last several years, our organization, as well as lots of organizations across the country, have undergone a significant change as we've witnessed, you know, horrific injustice in marginalized communities, including the murder of George Floyd. Um, and then on top of that, a pandemic hits um, that revealed the glaring reality of health disparities that exist between communities of color uh, and white communities. So confronting this um, really kind of a harsh reality uh, forced us collectively as a healthcare community to acknowledge that this didn't just happen in a vacuum, didn't happen um, overnight, but there were pre-pandemic conditions that contributed um, uh, to, to these um, health disparities that we really saw you know, coming out of the pandemic. So um, from a leadership standpoint at Pomona Valley, um, you know, they took action and the approach was multi-level. And um, 
So, you know, one was, you know, in the moment of, um, of really feeling the pain of the community, you know, that sort of downstream approach. So addressing health disparities in real time. And so uh, what we did was, um, you know, uh, essentially mobilize as quickly as possible and, you know, address COVID misinformation in the community, uh, address issues with um, access uh, to COVID vaccinations and vaccination hesitancy. Uh, we did that by partnering with um, community organizations to, to really have boots on the ground and learning from our community partners from these experiences. Um, this will better prepare us, you know, as we move forward, um, particularly uh, when the next pandemic occurs. So, you know, we have that downstream approach and then, um, you know, really uh, a key piece is to also have that internal approach. And so um, by recognizing, you know, that there are structural causes of inequity, including, you know, implicit bias, um, you know, we, we are critically looking right now at data that, um, that not only shows, you know, broadly, you know, across the country that we see unequal treatment of say, like um, some of the work that we're doing is with pregnant women of color, you know, or, um, you know, pain management or, you know, um, chest pain, you know, how we address that and protocols in place in, in uh, particularly in uh, communities of color, um, you know, we're able to, to, to better analyze that, you know, internally uh, and inform our decisions as we, um, you know, create initiatives as we move forward. And we're, once again, we're, we're primarily doing this through our newly formed um, uh, HEDI committee. Uh, and this committee was, once again, it was created to critically look at our institution, a way to evaluate our diversity, um, our inclusion, uh, and just the health outcomes that we're seeing um, in our community. Uh, we look at lots of different domains, you know, patient experience, uh, workforce experience. And uh, once again, we're trying to use data to really guide and inform our decisions as we move forward. Yeah, I want to pull on that thread of data for, for just a second, because um, that I think that's been a really common thread we've heard in a lot of these conversations. And one of the pieces that that I think relates to that is you talked about this this broad initiative being um, you know being something that's sponsored right that's something that's sort of key to Pomona Valley's mission and I'm wondering how um, you use that data to inform and 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 also I guess secure the support of you know the the, the medical center's leadership at the top levels and, and creating you know reporting back on that data in a meaningful way but then also as you use that data to structure your programs and identify areas of need. Yeah, and, and you really, um, you, you spoke to a key point there. You have to have leadership buy-in so that, you know, that's what it really starts with, you know, that commitment. So what kind of commitment do we have <clears throat> from our leadership? And so um, I think, you know, we're really fortunate to have, you know, a, a group and not only in our C-suite, but leaders at every single level of our, um, of our institutions that are dedicated to addressing um, these disparities that we see in our patient populations um, and just creating the most inclusive um, uh, workforce that we can. Now, now, data, obviously, part of the data that we, we gather is collected through, through literature searches. Our hospital is no different than a lot of other hospitals in the area. We struggle with the exact same sort of stuff. We see the same sort of you know, stigma in, in our emergency room when it comes to dealing with people with you know, homelessness, with substance use disorder, um, possibly um, with mental health disorder. So we kind of use that as a starting point. And then what we're doing is we're creating a, a, essentially a health equity dashboard so we can you know, draw the data you know, quickly you know, um, from our health outcomes. So we are sort of um, at the beginning stages of creating this dashboard, but I think it'll really help us as we move forward. And how does that translate that? You know, you talked about your role with, with residents and, and training residents. So how does that 
that data then translate into, and, and other sources uh, as well, translate into the programs that you're developing uh, and implementing to train staff uh, to address health equity issues, to address implicit bias issues. Yeah, so um, I mean, data is everything, you know, and literature honestly is everything. So when we were creating a health equity curriculum, we looked at, um, well, we, what we essentially did was we created a, a pyramid, if you will. And at the base of that pyramid is a lot of data, a lot of uh, data mining, a lot of um, research that supported what we were trying to teach. So, you know, health equity principles are foundational principles, essentially. And so, you know, we introduced the social determinants of health supported by a lot of literature. And then we um, incorporate those structural components that underlie the social de determinants of health, like, you know, policy and different laws. Um, so that the residents can gain a good understanding of the interplay between what we see um, and how and, and how those you know came you know how those outcomes came to be. Um, we focus a lot on, on implicit bias um, at the residency program. We're fortunate enough to be able to protect enough time to um, to, to create these really sort of expanded workshops. You know, uh, focusing on how these unconscious associations we have towards certain groups of people um, and how that affects our patient relationships. Um, and ultimately care decisions. Uh, we talk about the literature that supports this. Um, and most importantly, um, we talk about and we role play ways to mitigate the effects of the implicit bias. We also speak you know, um, a lot about race and racism, particularly with uh, respect to medicine. One of the things that we're looking at right now at the hospital setting is, um, is addressing some of the race-based medicine that we still see that is based on really poor science, you know, whether it be um, you know, measuring renal function or lung capacity, but these are things that absolutely we think you know does not really have a place in medicine but from you know physicians who have you know uh, been in practice for a while this is sort of stuff that that um, is ingrained in us because we learned it in our training and so um, so that's something absolutely that data is driving us you know trainings uh, pertaining to like uh, microaggressions and and how to you know become a good ally you know with our colleagues of color you know uh, white privilege culture humility um, and really focusing using that model, um, of, of focusing on vulnerable populations um, uh, to teach this through. So vulnerable populations is a great segue into, I know one of the really sort of, I'll say crown jewel pieces of, of what I know about what Pomona Valley is doing, and that's the street medicine program, the street treatment uh, program. So can you tell me uh, a little bit more about, about that program and what you do and, and what it's sort of what its goals are and, and how you get there? Absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, thank you for just opening up, giving me this opportunity to discuss it. I think that so, you know, street medicine is about as downstream as you can be. You know, these are, um, you know, individuals that, you know, sometimes are, are really, um, you know, kind of maybe in the worst place they've been in their life. Um, but there is such a tremendous need for, for um, having these types of downstream programs. And I'm really proud to work with a group of residents that identified that a couple of years ago. Um, you know, this program is absolutely driven and run um, by our resident physicians um, because they notice um, several health gaps in our community. Um, they essentially, ask, you know, they notice these health gaps and ask, you know, is there a way that we can fill this need? They looked at clear data that said that there was a need. You know, the Los Angeles Homeless um, Services Authority, they do a, a one night homeless count. It's not a perfect uh, measure of exactly how much homelessness we're seeing in Los Angeles County but it does still reveal alarming numbers. You know, and this is prior to the pandemic, you know, the last numbers we have, but it shows at least 60,000 individuals you know, at any period of time are experiencing homelessness with almost 800 in the Pomona area. 
Um, and they, they looked at the sheer numbers, but they also looked at outcomes. Um, and there, it shows that there is significant mortality of unhoused individuals. We know that chronically unhoused um, individuals live 12 years less than, um, than their housed counterparts. And so, um, you know, you take that, you know, 12 year less life expectancy. And if you add on, you know, say like the burden of substance abuse, um, we know that uh, uh, people experiencing homelessness uh, are at a 45 times greater risk of dying of overdose. So there's significant need. And so, you know, as part of our larger vulnerable population curriculum, we started this street medicine clinic um, to essentially meet the needs of our unhoused neighbors, but also to teach a process um, to destigmatize, you know, working with vulnerable populations. Um, and as you can imagine, there's, there's um, you know, this is a complex venture, you know, that needs a multidisciplinary approach. And we can only do this with the help of our community partners. And our primary partner um, is Tri-City Mental Health. Uh, where we were so blessed to enter into a partnership with them because they have they've established a trust in the community that has been built uh, over decades. Uh, so um, they, and they don't do this only by providing high quality of care within the walls of their clinic, but they have street teams that go out and they interact with their, their unhoused clients. And you know, these aren't doctors, these are just caring individuals who understand that, that continuity of care in populations experiencing homelessness may look a little bit different. You know? And so you know, it's really valuable to have organizations that have already built capacity and trust in trusting communities. Um, and it really makes our job much easier to, to reach out to the community and have that um, built in trust. Um, from an operational standpoint, we either see the patients um, in a pop-up clinic uh, that we set up in different parking lots um, around town or via backpacking into encampments in Pomona. Uh, essentially, uh, the Tri-City Street team throughout the week, they interact with their unhoused clients and they kind of create a schedule for us. And they, they'll pick up their clients, they'll, they'll, they'll bring them to see us um, if they have health needs. And it's really impactful as a physician um, when you're able to tell your patient, you know, don't worry, we have people who care deeply enough about you that you know, we'll search, you know, alleyways, you know, encampments, wherever we think you may be to ensure you get, you know, uh, the care you deserve and um, care with dignity. So, um, so this really, this really transforms, I think, you know, patients, you see it over, over time, and you see the trust um, for a healthcare system start to reemerge where it may have been lost in the past. Um, you know, we provide lots of services, um, you know, uh, many individuals who are experiencing homelessness uh, have, um, you know, there's a, a lot of, there's some stigma associated with them. And there's, you know, they're a, a little bit worried about going to brick and mortar clinics or even the emergency room. And so with this understanding, we really take a harm reduction approach. And so we, we try to do a lot for them, you know, on the streets. Uh, but care is a broadly defined term um, because it's not only medical care that they need, um, we're addressing issues that are critically important to their social needs. You know, it's housing insecurity, food insecurity, um, it could be legal issues, um, transportation for sure. Um, and of course, you know, significant uh, morbidity from, uh, uh, from whether it be injection drug use, like soft tissue infections, or just you know, um, chronic uncontrolled diabetes, hypertension, you know, heart failure, um, liver disease. Um, shortly after starting the street medicine clinic, um, it was also undeniable that our patients needed a low barrier um, harm reduction medication assisted treatment program for individuals not only experiencing homelessness, but also suffering from opioid use disorder. And so um, once again, the residents really um, took charge and we were fortunate enough to obtain a grant through the California Academy of Family Physicians as part of a 
bigger collaborative um, with several programs and hospitals across California. Uh, and we now offer Suboxone for opioid use disorder. Um, we've also developed a curriculum specific um, to opioid use disorder, uh, as well as substance use disorder just in general. Um, and we give residents protected time to ensure that they get a special waiver to be able to write these medications for use. So, I mean, it's, you know, lots of stuff that goes, goes on with this. There's, you know, obviously there's the benefit of, you know, treating the patient in front of you, but there's lots of other benefits, you know, outside of medical treatment. Um, and so just being able to, you know, immerse resident physicians, young physicians um, in this environment, you know, and providing them a framework, a philosophy where the patient comes first, where they understand that you have to build empowered interdisciplinary um, teams of partners, um, uh, where you're introducing, you know, um, you know, practice, you know, of, of harm reduction principles, um, and just really with the underlying knowledge that housing is a primary goal and housing really is health, um, is, uh, is, 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 is sort of how we approach our philosophy with it. You know, one of the one of the things I'm privileged to do here at ECRI is work with a program that supports um, federally qualified health centers and free clinics. And I know from talking to those folks over you know, more than a decade now, when they are dealing with an unhoused population, one of the one of the biggest challenges they face is that continuity of care. Mm-hmm. And, and you talked about notifications, right? And and how do I do I go to the alley? Do I go to the places where I know they might be and sending people out? And and um, I think that really speaks. It really speaks very volumes that you have you know, teams of people who can do that. That that kind of really. I mean, it's person by person. It's it's you know, pound the ground, so to speak. Uh, work that that must be. I think both very resource intensive in terms of people's time, but it must also be uh, incredibly valuable in the in the results that it yields in in keeping that continuity of care to get people keep people connected to the healthcare system. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, the, the teams that we work with are some of the most committed people you will ever meet. You know, they do it because it's a moral obligation. They have a social responsibility, um, a social accountability um, to their community. It's, uh, it's wonderful to work with this group of people. It is, you know, it can you know, absolutely be, you know, um, exhausting at times, but I think that's why it's so important to have these built out teams because you're able to support each other, you know, and pick somebody up, you know, when it becomes a little bit difficult. But the outcomes of our street medicine outreach is, is it's clear. You know, we, we measure patient satisfaction and we have rates nearing 100%, you know, for rapport building, for compassionate care, for increasing physician trust and increasing community bonds. Um, you know, we look at how, how well needs are addressed and you know, in California, particularly Los Angeles County, um, there's a, a shortage in general of, of housing, um, affordable housing. Uh, and so, um, you know, ab- about 30% or so um, do note that they have one or two needs that are not addressed, but it's most often housing. But, um, but we have teams that work tirelessly, you know, exploring, you know, county programs, state programs, national programs to try to meet those needs. We have, you know, enrolled um, almost 90% of our patients um, in Medi-Cal, our Medicaid program um, out here. Um, We supply, you know, lots of different um, human resource services. But uh, so, yeah, so definitely the outcomes are really showing that this is a valuable resource to the community. I think as we move forward, what we're really going to try to measure and what we're focusing on right now is working with the hospital um, particularly the emergency room department to determine, you know, exactly how much we are saving the system in general, you know, by being out on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, my assumption is, you know, anecdotally, you know, we look at charts, you know, and, and see how long we can keep, you know, certain individuals that may have been considered high utilizers in the past 
And just anecdotally, we've seen, you know, incredible results, you know, but we'd like to see, you know, more sustainable data to really, you know, support that. But, um, but, you know, we've got individuals who, you know, every couple of weeks were showing up in the emergency room and we've kept them out of the, um, the hospital for say six months at a time. And so, um, so it feels like, you know, that we're decreasing utilization as well. That's really remarkable. Um, so you mentioned that the work can be exhausting and whenever I hear exhausting, I think about COVID. Um, so how has, how has, how has the pandemic changed, um, changed the work that the street team is doing? So yeah, uh, another great question. So, um, initially right at the onset of the pandemic, no, yeah, nobody was prepared, you know, for the pandemic. And so we weren't really sure how it was, you know, affecting providers. We weren't sure, you know, how much PPE we needed. Everything was kind of brand new, you know, and so, you know, uh, unfortunately for a short period of time, we actually did, you know, um, close it down. Uh, but we, we realized really quickly within the span of just a couple of weeks that, wow, you know, we're needed more than ever, you know, right now. And so we mobilized quickly. Um, I don't, I mean, we probably way over PPD. I mean, we, you know, <laughs> gowns upon gowns, gloves upon gloves, masks, everything, couldn't even breathe in them. Um, you know, but, uh, but there was a true, true need. And I think just being out there, um, you know, provide, still providing our regular services, but also providing PPE, providing information, you know, partnering with the Los Angeles Department um, of Health to, to ensure that there's equitable distribution um, vaccines. I think that was all, um, you know, really important to the community. I think they saw that, you know, COVID-19 was interesting uh, because it's, it was kind of a double-edged sword for us. Um, you know, because on one hand, you know, the uncertainty of the disease, you know, like not just our, our, our street outreach team, but a lot of our community outreach in general um, at the hospital, you know, was put on hold for some of our normal community events. However, it became really an unexpected way to engage and connect with our community. Um, and it was at a really uncertain time for them. So it, it showed the community, you know, how much, how invested we are in them and how, um, how committed we are to them. And this is really hospital systems at their best. In times of need, we help lift up and support our community. So um, it actually, you know, I don't like using the word blessing, but in a way it was because we built new relationships, you know, and we got to know our community at a, re in a, at a really, you know, sort of different, you know, more vulnerable um, level. You know, one of the things you mentioned um, equity in the vaccine distribution, and I'm I'm curious if you saw that one of the things we we've heard from from a number of different of, of our uh, folks we've spoken to has been that you know okay when we when there was vaccine scarcity at the very beginning right when demand was outstripping availability well one of the first prioritization levels was uh, older folks right because they're very vulnerable but then you sort of quickly look and say well uh, folks in some of these other vulnerable populations their life expectancy in general is below that age cutoff, right? If we're going to prioritize folks who are 75 and older, for example, uh, I'm curious if you saw something similar and had to have those same conversations about reconsidering who were the most vulnerable because, uh, you know, populations of color were not, were not gonna, uh, particular, I'm thinking particularly on house populations, you talked about a, a 12 year age uh, expectancy gap. Um, they're not going to reach that 75 year old cutoff for that first priority level. Yeah, I mean, we had lots of conversations and the data, though, I mean, the data was really clear, um, clear and, and, you know, honestly, disheartening, you know, as well. When you when you look at specific communities, say in Los Angeles, 
where you know that, you know, based on zip code, we know if we're talking about life expectancy, there's a dramatic difference between our more affluent, like say west side of, of Los Angeles County, you know, like Santa Monica, you know, the Beverly Hills area versus like the, what we call like a Southeast corridor, you know, and up, upwards to, you know, 15 years life expectancy, you know, difference. So it's significant. And to see the resources, you know, initially really kind of made more available to more affluent communities um, was dis was disheartening. Um, but I think that, um, I think that, you know, you know, universities and community hospitals, you know, really started to take note of this, you know, quickly um, and tried to step up. As far as um, having the conversations about life expectancy, yeah, I mean, that we definitely discussed it, but um, I think it really just trying to level that playing field and, and trying to come to an, uh, the grips and understanding uh, exactly, you know, why we were seeing those disparities, um, you know, the structural components, the historical insults that have, you know, really laid the groundwork, you know, to see these disparities front and center during COVID. I think that's what, you know, our real focus was on. What other um, initiatives or, or programs that you're involved in with Pomona Valley um, would you like to, to highlight, particularly, again, as they deal with, you know, providing equitable access to, to care? Yeah. So I'm really excited um, about the future in general. I think, you know, what we're doing, we just had our, our, uh, our, our most recent community needs assessment, and now we're crunching the data and we're reaching out to community organizations and allowing them to kind of guide us. You know, it's one thing to, you know, to, to obtain some data and then us collectively, you know, in the hospital setting um, at any committee level to determine what we feel is, is are the needs of the community. But it's another thing to really bring the community in and allow them to drive decision making. And so um, I'm excited that we're working now really closely with, with community partners to help us come up with these decisions. I will tell you this, moving forward um, for the residency program this year that, that's upcoming, we have developed brand new gender affirming care initiatives. Um, and so that's gonna be a priority for us. We have new community partners um, like Pomona Pride, who we are uh, reaching out to that, uh, you know, uh, getting more embedded in the LGBTQ community. We um, are creating stronger um, relationships with transitional um, programs. Uh, you know, mass incarceration is, is a huge issue. And so helping people re-enter, you know, the system is really, really key. And they've got very specific, you know, health needs. Um, so those are two things that we're really, really excited about moving forward, um, as well as, um, you know, um, Thank, thank, you know, thank, I thank God for our leadership. You know, they're, they're going to step up and get us an actual van so we can extend ourselves a little bit and I don't have to pack up, you know, my, uh, my SUV with everything, you know, every single week, um, my back is hurting. So, um, so they took, <laughs> they took umbrage on me. And so we'll be, we'll also be able to be a little bit more mobile and being more mobile, we'll be able to extend, you know, um, our reach and our services. And so, I'm really excited, you know, and I'm excited just to developing, you know, deeper partnerships with the community. So, you know, one of the things that that I heard you talk about a lot and and both in, in existing programs and looking forward is all the community partnerships that, that you've developed over the years. And, you know, I always like to sort of close by thinking about if I'm in another organization and I want to and I don't have the kind of programs and relationships that you've developed over the years, but I want to start because I know I have a community need. Um, boy, what's that starting point? Yeah, it's a great question again, Paul. These are some great questions. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, but yeah, we've kind of already talked about this um, uh, at the beginning, but 
really um, having you know commitment, champions. You know, so if you can have your if if your leadership buys in, um, I think that that really sets the direction for for any institution. Um, you know, and commitment looks different for, for a lot of, um, you know, different organizations, but, you know, having a financial, you know, committing finances also is going to be really important. So absolutely commitment, you know, um, and reflecting that level of commitment by, by putting resources into it. I think then too, it's, it's do the hard work. And a lot of us, we can do this, um, uh, you know, ourselves do a lot of self-reflection before we make health equity plans and, and initiatives, you know, and even reaching out into the communities, learn, you know, a, a little bit, you know, about the issues that are probably affecting, you know, our communities. Um, it really needs to start by ex exploring these structural components um, of health disparities. It's, it's um, hard sometimes, you know, as physicians, as healthcare professionals, coming to grips a little bit with the fact that, you know, the, the most well-intentioned, you know, doctors, nurses, healthcare professionals may actually be contributing um, to health disparities through whether it be implicit bias, you know, or, you know, having lack of diversity, you know, in your, in your workforce, you know, um, you know, these are hard truths to swallow. And so these uncomfortable conversations are important to have upfront, lean into being, you know, into that discomfort a little bit, you know, and, if, and the way I see it is that if, if, if your leaders of your hospital are willing to, to be uncomfortable, uh, to, to, to struggle with these issues, you know, to start that institutional cultural change, you know, um, that will truly be sustainable. Definitely let data, uh, data guide you um, as, uh, you know, um, how you uh, determine how to allocate resources, um, you know, and, and, and obviously partnering with the community. You know, it is absolutely key. Let the community take an active role in how you approach closing disparities in, in your area. Um, they, they may have a very, very different idea, you know, on what is truly needed in the community, no matter what data um, you've created. Dr. Ramos, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. You can learn more about ECRI and the ISMP PSO from the ECRI website at www.ecri.org, where you'll find past conversations in our podcast series focusing on racial and ethnic disparities in care. You can find out more about Pomona Valley Hospital Medical Center at www.pvhmc.org. Be sure to subscribe to Smart Healthcare Safety on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts to get our latest episodes. We welcome your feedback. Please visit us at ecri.org or email us at ecri-podcasts at ecri.org.